does anything really matter? I mean, you start to get tired. You start to get a little bit sick. You have all of these places to go, all of these things to do, assignments to complete, exams to take, and it probably feels like you're just throwing everything together to get everything done so you can go home, so you can be with your family, so you can relax, so you can sleep, so you can heal, so you can recuperate for a while. But this is a time for resolve because things do matter, and specifically, endings matter. Endings matter. We always want to end well. Look, endings matter. We know that because right now, the Chicago Cubs, who just won a World Series, are trying to make a trade with the Royals for their closer, Wade Davis. Because the Chicago Cubs, I'm sorry, we'll pray for, pray for Miss Bev, please. Um, what the Chicago Cubs understand is that how you end games matters. And even though they made it to the pinnacle, even though they made it to the mountaintop, they want to go back. And that was a weakness for their team throughout the year. How are they going to end games? And so they're trying to figure out how they can do that better by taking a person or maybe a cyborg, it's kind of debatable, and inserting him into their bullpen. Endings matter. In uh, perhaps, you know, one of the uh, uh, greatest film series of all time, Star Wars. You know how uh, Return of the Jedi was supposed to end? It was not supposed to end with Ewoks dancing around. In fact, there was this huge creative difference that caused uh, one of the main creative minds who made Empire Strikes Back probably the greatest movie of all time, and we can reshuffle the deck maybe a little bit after next Thursday around 9.30 p.m. after we've all seen Rogue One. Um, but the, the person who, who, the creative mind who made Empire Strikes Back, probably the greatest movie of all time, he left as they were talking about what they wanted to do with Return of the Jedi. Because originally, the way the movie was supposed to end, Return of the Jedi, was that Han Solo was supposed to be this John Wayne character. And he was supposed to die a heroic death. And instead of fireworks and Ewoks and later a giant statue of Darth Vader being toppled as the Empire went down, um, it was supposed to kind of fade to black as Luke and Leia struggled with how to keep the peace in this new republic that they had just established. Endings matter. We were in the golden age of the mixtape. And on Friday, the Hamilton mixtape was finally released. And the end of the Hamilton mixtape wasn't just meta. It was super meta. Uh, the song that everybody is, is talking about is the last song on the tape, which is a song by none other than uh, Chance, Chance the Rapper. And the Hamilton mixtape ends very much like Chance the Rapper's coloring book mixtape ends with a reprise or with a different version of a song that appears earlier on the album. And so on Chance's album, he has a song, Blessings. It appears in the middle of the album. Then you get to the end of the album, and he has another version of the song. And on uh, the Hamilton mixtape, you have Dear Theodosia, and you have Regina Spector and Ben Folds. Like, they sing a great version of that song. It's really solid. But at the end, the one that everybody's talking about is a second version of that song that my man Chance and Francis and the Lights put together, and Chance sings. Endings matter. I know it's cold outside, but last night I had ice cream. And I was thinking about... Sundays and how the ending of a Sunday matters because you could take okay ice cream or even bad ice cream and you can put it in a cup and as long as you end it well with some whipped cream and a nice cherry it tends to be a satisfying experience you know who does not end Sundays well McDonald's, man. McDonald's got no Mac game. They do not know how to end a Sunday. They put their off-brand ice cream 
in that cup, and they just dump some stuff on it. And the only topping, you can't get, a, uh, you can't get two cents of whipped cream or one fake cherry. All that they offer you in terms of topping is this like little baggie of crumbled peanuts that looks like something that somebody vacuumed out of an airplane seat after it's taken around the world trip. And you get to, to McDonald's Sunday and you're like, man, this really sounds good. And you know, some hot fudge, some ice cream. And you realize that the finish just isn't there. That's not really great. Endings matter. Today we come to the end of the book of Isaiah. We've been in this book all semester, and we have been talking about what is going to happen, what is going on, and what is going to happen with these people. These people who have been in exile, these people who have been spread out all over the, the, the empire, these people who have been uh, kind of done wrong, and how they got into that situation, these people of God, how they got into that situation, and what God is calling them to we get to the end of the book of Isaiah and this ending that really matters. And Isaiah ties some things up for us. In the last chapter of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, beginning in verse 17, the word of the Lord says to the people this, those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following the one in the center, eating the flesh of pigs, vermin, and rodents shall come to an end together, says the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and I'm coming to gather all nations and tongues. They shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. From them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Put, and Lud, which draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations." They shall bring all your kindred from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring a grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. As Isaiah ends this book, he ends it with a word of comfort to the people. Because the people have looked around, and they have looked around, and they have said, man, we were supposed to be the people who were God's chosen people, and now we're the oppressed. We were supposed to be the people that God was showing faithfulness to, that God was looking after. We were supposed to be the people who were close to God, and there are all of these other people in the world, and they're doing wicked things, and they're doing evil things, and they're holding us down. And they're doing things that dishonor the Lord, and they're talking bad about who we are, and they're saying that our God doesn't exist, and that our God is weak, and, and still they're, they're, they're gaining in wealth, and they're gaining in power, and, and, and all these great things are happening to them. But there's a promise here at the end of Isaiah that one day that oppression will cease. And that's been a theme, that's been a thread throughout the entire book. That Jesus, that, that God is going to provide freedom, that God is going to be a liberator. Those of us from a, from a Christian perspective, look especially in uh, Isaiah 40 through 66, which is actually the section of scripture that is most often utilized in the three-year lectionary cycle. We see a lot of our Savior, Jesus Christ, promised as, as, as the one who will come out from the seed or, or from the root or from the stump of Jesse. And so this promise is reiterated right here. And so even though there are these people who are quote-unquote unclean and who have been experiencing just a great life and who have been experiencing abundance, who have been experiencing power, who have been experiencing wealth, 
who think that nothing can stop them, Isaiah reminds the people that God is still watching, that God is going to gather all people together. And when he gathers all people together, the interesting thing that happens here is, is that God does not say, you will then lord over them, just as they have lorded over you. God does not say, you will exert power over them, just as they have exerted power over you. God does not promise the Israelites that they will get to oppress other people in a vengeful or a spiteful way. Instead, as God talks about seeing the oppression that's going on right now and providing people, granting people their freedom, what is going to happen then is that God is going to rule over them. That people will come from all aspects of the earth, from all tongues, from all tribes, from all nations, and they will be the ones who will bow down. Even those, as, as, as Isaiah says here, that have not heard of the fame of God or seen his glory, they shall declare his glory among all of the nations. And they will bring an offering to the Lord. And that offering that is brought will be set aside and it will be cleansed as a holy vessel in the house of the Lord. Isaiah goes on in verse 21 to say, And I will also take some of them as priests and Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Just like we've seen that theme of freedom from oppression woven through the book of Isaiah, so we see this theme of what it means to truly worship God. And it seems like in some ways this sounds like it's kind of an anti-temple statement that there's going to be all this, this worship happening, and, and, and I don't know that that's necessarily what Isaiah is saying, but what I do think Isaiah is saying is that, look, we are going to have the opportunity very soon to bow down before God. And, and, and the very nature of our existence, the rhythms of our existence, they will be restored. The festivals that we had experienced before and this idea of, of our week of worship going from Sabbath to Sabbath, that is once again something that we will be able to taste. We will be able to remember once again how our God created us. We will be able to remember again the authority that God has over all of the earth and how God spoke things into existence over the course of six days. And then on the seventh day that God rested and that God calls us and allows us the space to rest in his presence and to rest in his glory. And what is being promised here is in addition to this political freedom that once again, the people of God will have their community back. They will have space and place to be able to enjoy the religious freedom that they are yearning after. Not to give up, you know, false, uh, false not to worship false idols, not to give up sacrifices that are meaningless, but to understand, once again, to reclaim their identity as the true people of God, as the worshiping church. And you know what, man? That sounds great. That sounds like an amazing, beautiful, uplifting, comforting way to end things. 
This sounds like, you know, after a long time of, of reflection, 65 chapters of reflection, some of those reflections which have, have contained promises, but some of which have been, been very hard. This seems like right there in verse 23, just like that perfect ending. Endings matter. That all flesh will come to worship before me, says the Lord. Run the credits and fade the black, baby. Let's go and have ourselves a nice holiday season. But there's this peculiar verse that actually ends the book of Isaiah. Verse 24 says, And they shall go out and look at the dead bodies of the people who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall have an abhorrence to all flesh. Whoa. Hold up. Wait a minute. Like, seriously, like you kind of want to shake the Bible a little bit, see if any more words fall out, uh, to see if there was something a little bit more uplifting that Isaiah should have ended with. In fact, rabbinic tradition says that when this is read in the temple, that after verse 24 is read, the, the, the whoever's reading scripture should go back and read verse 23 again so that people can end on that happier note, on that more positive note. Because you know what people don't really like to think about is the smell of burning bodies. You know what people don't really like to think about is the idea of decay and worms and our own mortality. People really don't like to think about a fire that shall not be quenched in the abhorrence to all the flesh. That leaves us with a bit of tension. And teachers throughout history have wrestled with, why would Isaiah, after spilling all of these words and all of this talk and having this lovely poetic ending in verse 23, why would Isaiah just like kind of like hit us with this knee to the gut at the very end and leave us just to dangle there? Theologian Paul Hansen uh, posits this, that scripture enters our life not to conform, not to confirm our prejudices, not even to confirm our, 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 our most heldly close assumptions, but to challenge and to purify. Perhaps this is the divine reason why the final verses of the book do not end on the note that would allow us to complete our reading with a sigh of delight. And I would add that perhaps this is the reason that the book of Isaiah brings us to this place where we can't leave thinking that was a nice story but we have to make a choice. Wait, did you guys hear that? Sorry. It was, it was like a, a great disturbance in the Reformation as if millions of voices cried out in pain because I said choice. Here's the deal. Um, throughout the book of Isaiah, God makes a lot of choices and God shows a, a lot of volition. There are choices that God makes as to, to whom he is going to call. There are choices that God makes in terms of who he is going to be allowed to take into exile. There are choices that God makes as to when and where he is going to allow powers to rise and to fall. What we see throughout the entire book of Isaiah, what we see throughout the entire scripture, is that God is choosing to faithfully pursue his people. And that's not a notion that is simply contained in the Old Testament. That is something that does indeed spill over to the New Testament. As we celebrate the Christmas season right now, this idea of, of God taking on human form, of Emmanuel, God with us, that is, that's a conscious choice 
that God makes to, to, to reach out as closely as possible to his creation so that they can realize once again that they were created in the image of God and so that they can be reconciled to him. And yet, at the end of the day, after all of the poetry that is spilled in Isaiah, after all of the, the, the history out of all of, of calling people to account and calling people to repentance, after God has made all of these choices, God still does leave the people with an opportunity, with something to do. It's not the first time that something like this in Scripture has happened. Moses, in Deuteronomy 20, verses 18 through 20, says to the people, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. And then the next leader to come along that Moses passes that mantle to, Joshua, in Joshua 24, 14 through 16 says, Now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered in the way that I think Isaiah wanted the people to answer this question that is left dangling in the tension. The people, as, as Joshua gave that speech, answered in a way that I would hope that we would answer as we consider the choice that is set before us today. In Joshua twenty four sixteen, the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And so I'm sorry, not sorry, that Isaiah ends the, the, the book like this. Because maybe it's more important for us to be uncomfortable in a moment so that we can consider the choices that are before us. Because God has given us an opportunity to be folded into the worshiping people. God has given us an opportunity to reclaim our identity as his children and the ones who bring glory to his name. God has given us an opportunity to worship at his throne, to exist in intimacy with him, to find our purpose in him and in his plans. But to be honest, we, we don't have to do it. And so Isaiah pulls no punches and he says, look, make no mistake. The choice is stark. You can live in the presence of God. Your life can be a pleasing aroma to him or you can die outside of his presence. And it won't be joyful. In fact, it'll be painful and it'll be in, 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 in perpetuity and the fire will not be quenched. I'm sorry there aren't a lot of jingle bells or, 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 or snowflakes or, or whatever in, in the imagery that we get right there. Perhaps it takes us to a place that we are not used to being this time of year. 
But I just think that if that's the end that we are going to come to in the book, then that's the thing that we get to wrestle with today. I think that when we come into a community that is as, as diverse as this, we have a lot of people who have never considered that choice before. We've never considered the choice that God gives us. We've never realized the fact that God has indeed been faithfully pursuing us and that what we are offered is this life in, in, in perfect communion with him. Not a perfect life, not a, not a painless life, but a life of, of faith where things eventually, as, as we discern and as we journey together, can start to make some more sense with an eternal perspective where, where we change, our, our value systems are changed so that instead of being about the things that are always best for us, we're being about the things that bring the greatest amount of glory to God. I think some of us have never considered that option before. And I think there are some of us who have considered that option, but when we hear the words of Isaiah, we, we, we realize that, you know what, my, my life does not look like worshiping God from new moon to new moon. My, wife, my life does not look like a, a situation or parameters in which I am resting in God and I'm working for God and then I am resting in God's presence and I am allowing God to say, yes, it is good. I think some of us may have made that decision, but, but we see that our, our ways have, have, have gone astray, that we have wandered a bit. It's fine. That's what people do. It's what Israel did. But the word of the prophet is to say, come back. Come back. Make that choice to come back. Because God has made a choice to run after you. God has made a choice to correct you. God has made a choice to embrace you. God has made a choice to send his son for you. God has made a choice to give you life in a way that only God can. As we consider the, the choice that is set before us today, I would encourage us during our time um, of worship to really consider what does it mean for us to take not just a physical posture, but a spiritual posture where we bow down before the Lamb of God and worship him with our entire lives. And if you choose to, to make a choice or, or to make a decision today, then make sure that like, you let people know about that. I'd love to hear about that. Your professors would love to hear about that. They're praying for you all the time. They have deep care and, and concern for you. Part of their calling is to, to, to support you and love you and lead you to a place where, where you have the opportunity to, to hear these things from the word and, and to leave transformed. Let someone know. Because much like Israel, there may be a time where a Joshua figure says, here's the choice and we'll say that we will not forsake other lords, other gods. We will serve our Lord, and we end up serving those gods for a while. But then another voice comes back to us and says, come back, just like Isaiah said, come back to the people, and we have an opportunity to come back. So whether your decision today is a first-time decision, whether your decision today is, is, is one where it's a, it's, a, it's a recalibration, consider that and let someone know. As we close this semester, raising our voices together to our God, to our creator, to our redeemer. God, we do thank you for this day. And we thank you for this space that you have given us. And we thank you, God, for even um, some more time to now respond to your word through prayer, through silence, through singing. 
whatever it is that you want the cry of our heart to be, God, let us in this assembly shout the glorious amen. Let us shout in agreement with not only the historical people of God, but with you, God, and the very desires and designs that you have for our lives. Help us to weigh the glory and the gravity of the choice that you have set before us and to respond to your word and to respond to your work.